Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of September 2022, and it is once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? Uh, it's going great. Glad to be here. Uh, very excited once again to talk about some Blu-rays from my collection. I gotta justify those purchases somehow, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, you and me both. Uh, so, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, essentially what a Tales from the Shelf uh, episode entails is uh, basically, in case you hadn't noticed, Brad and I, we both have a lot of DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4K discs. We have a lot of fucking movies. Uh, and kind of to like justify the habit a little bit, at least from my perspective, I like to, you know, swap some stories, you know, actually expand my, my entertainment value from merely just collecting and hoarding these things to actually enjoying them on an additional level. Um, hence tales from the shelf. Uh, so this month's episode, um, I have decided to dub, uh, powerful pairings. Uh, <laughs> and essentially what that means is uh there's a thing that happens every once in a while in the movie industry where you know directors and stars or directors and other crew members and whatnot they they find they have like a bond you know like there's the common commonly known pairings of say like i don't know johnny depp and tim burton and uh martin don't. scorsese and <laughs> i stole one of mine might might have might have spoiler alert uh, martin scorsese and bobby d uh, robert de niro that's another nope. one god damn, i'm sorry brad <laughs> it's not intentional trust <laughs> no, me. no i'm joking no, neither of those were too obvious too okay. obvious um and then of course martin scorsese and more more modern in more modern times leonardo dicaprio but the point is there's a lot of directors who find like a muse that they work with uh repeatedly um, and it's just one of those fun little patterns that pops up in the film industry ever so often. And uh, as a result, I thought it would be really interesting, or at least I guess Brad actually is the one who is responsible for coming up with the idea for the theme this month. Uh, we thought it would be a lot of fun uh, to spotlight some powerful pairings uh, between director and star. Although in my case, I think I have at least a couple of in instances where it's not necessarily a director it's it's someone else involved in the production rather than the person in the director's chair but i don't know if i can allow that <laughs> uh yeah in case you in case you're wondering uh brad is a little bit of a stickler for the rules uh, in particular um brad would you care to like share with the folks at home who maybe haven't heard it before because it has been brought up like a couple of times over the years but um your, your organization principle when it comes to like alphabetizing or ordering up the the, the films that, uh, that you own that you, you put on your shelf well I mean there's ton there's tons of rules I mean uh, where do I even begin I, I mean personally I would say the most important rule and I actually think it's one that you don't follow you you personally Trevor don't follow um, at least last I checked is uh, separating by format and uh Keep those Blu-rays, those DVDs, those 4Ks all separated. Don't mix them all in. That's probably the number one rule. Followed by alphabetization, which is probably second most important rule. 
Um, although I, I do break that a little bit because I do sort uh, some of my boutique labels into their own uh, specific sections. But I mean, I, there, there's there's a whole thing we could go all day about organization, and some some today we might have to do a full episode on it because um, there's tons of like you know those weird rules like the uh, David Fincher Seven. David Fincher Seven would go before Seabiscuit because the uh, full title is S E the number seven E N. Um, so that's just that's just a classic, uh, you know, rookie mistake that some people make. They put Sea Biscuit before seven. And, you know, we can go on and on about that. But anyway, that's that's the basics of it. That's the basics of it. Yeah, as the gangster in Home Alone Two says, "I could go on forever, baby," <laughs> <laughs> with his very Chicago accent. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, as is customary, uh, I'm going to do my hosting duty and uh, toss Brad promptly under the bus. Um, and ask that he be the first to introduce uh, the first of his powerful pairings. So, Brad, uh, who you got up first? Well, I'm going to go with uh, an obvious one. Uh, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese. No, I'm joking. Um, this one it prob- this one probably is the most obvious one that I have. Uh, but I feel like it's worth uh, mentioning. And I'll be honest, I probably talk about all of these films on the show at some point. Uh, but maybe I'll have something new to say. We'll see. I'm going to talk about, and I don't really know how to do this. I guess maybe I'll just hold up the whole stack at first. Uh, I'm talking about David Lynch and Kyle McLaughlin, David Lynch and Kyle McLaughlin, who I think is up there. Maybe not for mainstream audiences as one of the most iconic pairings, but, um, certainly if you think of David Lynch, Kyle McLaughlin has to be in there. Um, and uh, p- part of the reason I'm bringing it up is because uh, Kyle McLaughlin just stopped by the Criterion Collection's Criterion Closet and made his Criterion picks and uh, had a nice little thing to say about David Lynch. And he's, you know, basically said he owed the man his career. And uh, it's it's true. He basically does owe the man everything. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I love uh, David Lynch. I love Kyle McLaughlin. I think they are great together. Of course, I have. Oh, um, this is embarrassing. This is real embarrassing. Uh, I have Dune, but I I grabbed the uh, just bare bones garbage Blu-ray disc. What is this? Universal, the the garbage Universal disc, and I I left the gorgeous 4K from Arrow on my shelf. I was in a rush, and I was just grabbing these. I'm like, Dune, got it, grabbed it, boom. Forgot I owned it on 4K. So this can just go in the trash. But uh, I also have the garbage, absolutely garbage, uh, uh, Blu-ray of Blue Velvet. I don't have the criterion of Blue Velvet. I have the garbage, uh, what is this, Uh, MGM, the garbage MGM disc. Um, And uh, Blue Velvet is one of my favorite David Lynch films. And uh, Kyle MacLachlan, of course, he started with Dune. That was his big break. And, of course, it wasn't received very well. So Blue Velvet was kind of, the film that saved uh, Kyle McLaughlin and kind of saved David Lynch as well after uh, Dune and in uh, Kyle McLaughlin's Criterion Closet picks, he said like it would have been so easy for David Lynch to say Dune was a big failure. The lead Kyle McLaughlin, nobody really liked him in it. I'm just going to throw this kid off to the side and get somebody new for Blue Velvet. But he stuck with him. He stuck with him and it paid off. So good for them. Uh, and yeah, I, I love Blue Velvet. Uh, part of the reason maybe I don't have the Criterion is because it might get a 4K sometime. I don't want to, you know, buy it on Blu-ray Criterion and then the 4K come out. Uh, he does have a very small role 
in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, the Twin Peaks movie. This, I do have the Criterion release. And uh, I might as well just transition into Twin Peaks, the uh, limited series, the Twin Peaks series from 2017 or whatever. And then I also have the Twin Peaks, the uh, complete collection, the television collection. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be complete because this doesn't have the movie, but this is the original series and the Showtime series. Um, So I'm a Twin Peaks head. Uh, It is up there with one of my favorite shows of all time. And uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, one that uh, a lot of people either don't like. I think the reputation is coming around lately. But I remember when I first watched Twin Peaks, I was maybe in middle school, maybe early high school, and I loved it. I maybe don't love it like quite the same way as I do now, but I did really enjoy it. And I was like, oh, there's a Twin Peaks movie. And I looked up reviews and it was like, oh, this movie was panned. It was terrible. And I'm like, oh, I guess I won't watch the Twin Peaks movie then. So I didn't watch this until like probably I think it was right before the the new series came out in 2017 and i watched it and i'm like people think this is terrible this is great this is just this is like twin peaks the horrific aspects of twin peaks amped up to 11 and uh i i I really enjoy it and um yeah david lynch i i've told you before i know he's he's probably if i'd pick one filmmaker that matches my sensibilities the most it probably would be him his his uh, mix of horror and humor and his kind of like uh, small town Midwest charm mixed in there. It's, it, it all works for me. Um, and of course, uh, Kyle McLaughlin, big part of uh, David Lynch's filmography. So there you go. Yeah, it's really hard to not think of one without thinking of the other, honestly. Like, even for someone like me who doesn't have the strongest connection to David Lynch's work, I, I really strongly admire the man. I think he's one of the most compelling interviews you'll ever find. Uh, I just like him, and I like that we have him. Uh, although, if I'm being perfectly honest, I haven't seen that many of his films. Um, I have seen uh, the uh, the initial run of Twin Peaks. I haven't seen uh, the return. Although, uh, from what I hear, it's it's excellent. Like if you enjoyed, oh, yeah. if you enjoyed in particular, like the first season of Twin Peaks. Like, if you want that vibe, if you want to carry on with that, it's kind of a remarkable production in, in how they they actually got him back after losing him briefly while working on that show. Uh, it's, again, it's just kind of cool that we got that. Um, I would very much like to watch that someday. Um, as of yet, I have, I have yet to. Um, but yeah, that, it, I don't know. Like, do you know anything about like how the two of them came to know each other? Because it, it's really fascinating that the two of them are, are so intrinsically linked to each other. Yeah, I know it was. Uh, well, I just grabbed the uh, I, it was so embarrassing. I had to grab it. The Dune 4K. I can't believe I forgot I had this. So I had to grab that. And I remember uh, I was watching some of the making of the, the bonus features. And there is an interview, I believe, on here with uh, Kyle McLaughlin. And I think he said he was working. I don't remember where he's from. If he's I want to say he's from like washington or oregon or somewhere i i don't he's not originally from california i don't remember where he said he was originally from but he was just a small time actor somewhere and he was just doing like local theatrical productions and somehow i don't know if he went to la to audition but somehow he, he just auditioned for dune and i guess him and uh david lynch hit it off and now yeah, the rest is history I, that's kind of it because i'm pretty sure dune was his like first 
a ma- major role, like first role in any film. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, that Kyle McLaughlin talked about it. I, I just, I don't remember. I, you know, I spend so much time <laughs> watching these movies and these featurettes and none of it stays with me. None of it sinks in. It's all for nothing. Well, I mean, in all honesty, we're here to talk about the movies. We're here to talk about the work, not so much the the personalities involved. Um, yeah, I I don't know where I don't know where Kyle McLaughlin's from. I was just curious if you knew, but yeah, it it is kind of amazing how you you do always think of the other, and also like Kyle McLaughlin as as a presence in Hollywood is. Arrow's <laughs> books just smell. I don't know, man. Like it's not even a good smell, but it's like there's just something about it. Nothing, there's nothing quite like it. The paper they use. Mm. You heard it here, folks. Arrow books. They they just got that smell. <laughs> it kind of smells like sawdust. Like maybe it's because this is thick paper. I don't know, but it's good. I mean, if you're gonna be charging premium prices, you better have some sawdust scent in your yeah. booklets. <laughs> Poster, not so much. Poster. No scent on the poster. Oh, it's not a scratch and sniff poster. Doing it wrong. I don't wrong. think so. I don't think I'd want to smell what that worm smells like anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does bring to mind uh, certain aspects of human anatomy that, yeah, you know, I, to each their own. But I personally, it's like, you know, I, I don't need that uh, right up in my face. Um, anyway, um, yeah, Kyle McLaughlin as an actor has always been kind of fascinating because, like, I he he has like kind of a traditional leading man like like look to him but as evidenced by him being a staple of david lynch's filmography he's very he's very comfortable with getting a little weird with the material at hand um and as a result he's incredibly versatile like he can be incredibly funny and and just a complete clown on screen like he can he can be so animated and goofy um but he can also be very intimidating and actually like he's got legit dramatic chops to him he's he's a very skillful actor you are just if you think this now wait till you watch twin peaks the return because you're gonna say that times 12 oh he's funny oh wait till you see twin peaks the return oh he's intimidating oh wait till you see twin peaks the return just you got to do it bud you got to do it yeah i know you've been you've been getting on me about that for a while and i do because i I really did actually enjoy twin peaks like the first two seasons even even that second season that you know not everybody is a fan of i I actually got enough out of it to enjoy it uh during the parts when david lynch wasn't involved um Mm -hmm. but uh, i actually have seen a, a clip uh from the return um, because uh, a friend of mine who actually uh, helped me get this live stream up and running, he's probably not watching this, but um, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> he was the one who sent me the video because uh, th- he and I, he was the one who found it, but uh, the two of us, we both mutually enjoyed a website called Channel 101 a long time ago uh, that was kind of responsible for introducing us. And mind you, this was back in high school uh, to the likes of Dan Harmon, and Justin Roiland, two oh, wow. huge fucking names today. You know, Rick and Morty, kind of a big deal. Um, as far as I know, Justin Roiland actually has a video game company that has a pretty high-profile release on the way. But um, Channel 101 was basically a hosting platform uh, pre-YouTube uh, for uh, five-minute internet shows. Like, you'd make a pilot, and then they'd do a live screening of all the submissions uh, in a theater somewhere in L.A., and then the live audience would vote 
uh, to see which of the five minute pilots would get the right to make a second episode and you oh. just continue submitting episodes until you get quote canceled as in the last episodes you submitted didn't get enough votes to continue mm-hmm. um and sometimes that process would result in shows self-canceling uh by going like over the five minute limit or something uh just because they ran out of creative fuel and they're just like fuck it let's move on and do something else um anyway there was a, a fella um i I think his last name is Mears. I'm 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 kind of blanking on his first name. It might be like Jason or something. But he played Jason in the most recent uh, Friday the Thirteenth film, um, the Platinum Dunes one. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like Jason Mears or something. Um, our our nickname for him was Bald Action Guy because he popped up in a lot of Channel One One shorts as a bald man that did action stuff so we just came to know him as bald action guy um anyway uh, i saw the it's like an arm wrestling scene or something between um coop uh but it's definitely not coop um and bald action guy and it results in some some gore it results in Mm -hmm. some violence where i was like oh uh but in the good way um so i know i know at least that happens and yes uh kyle mclaughlin uh, as whoever that character was supposed to be, uh, plenty intimidating. Like he had quite a lot of presence to him. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it should be a criminal offense, criminal offense that the Emmys overlooked him in that performance for Twin Peaks: The Return. Criminal, criminal. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, you heard it here, folks. He got robbed. Yeah, our boy got robbed. Okay. Well, I suppose the pick is to me. Um, so, uh, I'm going to do the lame thing and just go with the, the one, uh, the ones that are closest to me, um, as opposed to the ones that I have the most enthusiasm for, uh, and I'll do like Brad, and I'll just throw these up in one pile here. Uh, so my first powerful pairing, uh, is between one, um, and I'm going to get his name right this time, Brad, uh, because I have fucked it up numerous times before, uh, Gareth Hugh Edwards? And Evans, I did fuck it up. Awesome. Gareth Hugh Evans and uh, Iko Uwais uh, from Indonesia. Uh, so I have here the three films that I'm aware of uh, that the three of them, uh, the two of them have done together. So that would be uh, The Raid 2, The Raid 1, or Raid Redemption. And uh, the earlier film, Marental, uh, which is probably not a very uh, well-known film. Um, I didn't know this. I'm flabbergasted. uh, I'm I'm absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah, Marantau, uh, it it bears a strong resemblance to like an Indonesian equivalent to like Ong Bak or Tam Yong Gung. It feels very much like a Tony Ja film, but obviously it's not from Thailand. It's Indonesian. But um, as far as I know, Gareth Evans, Gareth Evans, uh, (laughs) it's not Gareth Edwards. That's the Godzilla guy. I did fuck that up before, and I will continue to fuck it up probably until the day I die. Um, these two uh, are kind of responsible for uh, adding a new wrinkle uh, to the action slash martial arts landscape of, of the film world um, by introducing uh, Iko Ways as a screen talent. Uh, this was kind of his introduction outside of the world of martial arts. Like I think this was his acting debut. I mean, he is a very capable actor. Um, as well as like just the the general 
style of Silat as a martial art. Um, the, the movement style to it, the forms that it takes on, um, are not something that was, was commonly seen in outside of Indonesian cinema. Uh, so to have, to have them mutually like make an international splash was kind of a big fucking deal. And Marantal was not the movie that did that. Uh, Marantal was kind of, I don't know, it, it's good. It has a couple of excellent scenes, but on the whole, it, it's not, it's not like a, a ground pa- groundbreaking piece of action cinema. So there's a reason I was so flabbergasted to not know of it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's basically it's it's not what the raid is. Uh, the raid. Uh, I don't know why they added the the subtitle Redemption. Um, this is actually a curious release uh, because this is the Blu-ray. It says unrated edition. I don't actually know if there even was a censored edition to this film, but. Uh, the the big weird thing to it is that they added redemption as a subtitle to this film, which remember this is the first film like there this wasn't a franchise at the time, it's barely a franchise now, um, but in addition to that they also did what they did with um, a lot of martial arts movies from the late '90s and early 2000s, and uh, they changed the soundtrack. Um, Mike Shinoda. Uh, does a like an entirely new soundtrack for the film isn't that like the lincoln park guy am i wrong on that uh, Rod? yeah i believe he's the the rapping part of lincoln park he's the hip-hop guy from lincoln park i believe he's not the lead singer okay yeah that tracks and and i appreciate that because that would have changed my <laughs> my outlook on things considerably uh not exactly a fan but um yeah he he composed an entirely new score uh, for like the international release for the film um and i kind of see why because the 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 general musical tonality of the original release of the film is a is a little out of sync like it's a little out of step with with the action proceedings and whatnot um but i've only ever watched the movie straight through with the original soundtrack i i it's weird because you actually have to like dive into the menus in order just to change it back to the original score. Um, they mm. really went out of their way to try to bury that. But um, if you're not familiar, folks at home, and I don't know how you how you could miss this one or at least not know it by reputation, this this movie was an extraordinary achievement in uh, martial arts action cinema. Uh, it kind of gave way to the creation of what what they're calling like as a subgenre a splatter foo. Um, which basically means martial arts action, but with a heavy emphasis on bloodletting and, and gore effects, like simultaneous to the, to the like colorful action choreography. It's awesome stuff. Like it, it really is spectacular. Um, and just the, the tooth and nail nature uh, to the action choreography in the raid is, is fantastic. And uh, if you ask me, uh, it's a little over long uh, for sure. Um, but as a, as a film, I do think the Raid Two is is an excellent film, just top to bottom. Like I do, this was the movie that kind of taught me that, like, oh wait, uh, this Gareth Hugh Evans uh, fella, like he doesn't just have like the technical chops because a lot of the cinematography and a lot of the editing and a lot of the camera choreography and whatnot uh, featured in in both the Raid and Marental are uh, exemplary. 
Um, but it's not until you really get to this one that you see like, oh shit, like he can direct actors too, because there's some like truly spectacular acting sequences, like not involving any mm-hmm. sort of physicality. Like in particular, there's an exchange between father and son uh, that is r- real heavy. Like like it, it's actually kind of remarkable. It's like you, that's in this movie. <laughs> like like what is this movie? And it's like at its heart, like. It's essentially a crime drama that just happens to have some truly spectacular balls to the wall martial arts sequences in addition to being a crime drama uh, slash family drama. Um, so that was kind of the movie that like really spelled it out to me. That's like, oh shit, I I think this guy's on my list of like, if he if he makes it, I will come. Like, like pretty much anything he makes, I'll, I'll give a look um, as evidenced by me buying the Blu-ray for Gangs of London, um, which did not stick the landing uh but some of those early episodes uh were fantastic uh for sure um and i'm eagerly awaiting um i think it's havoc uh it's his collaboration gareth hugh evans it's his uh, collaboration with tom hardy um and i i like both of those things uh I'm, and i wouldn't i i don't think you would be asking too much to maybe have another situation where we have another like hey maybe you want to work with tom hardy again kind of thing um, but yeah, very, very thankful to have what we've gotten uh, out of these two as a pair. Um, Eco Ways is a, is a gift uh, to anybody who is interested in a martial arts cinema. He's, he's kind of a singular talent uh, in that community. Um, he has a dynamism to him that's spectacular. And not only that, like I said, he actually has fucking acting chops. Like he has screen presence. Um, and that's shocking being as I don't think he has any sort of dramatic background uh, other than you know performing martial arts forms in front of crowds and stuff and gymnasiums and whatnot um, people have been clamoring for a raid three um, but as far as I know uh, I don't think that's in the cards uh, I I personally wouldn't mind seeing it although the way th- the raid two ends it's like I don't know where we go from there guys <laughs> like, like honestly but you know one can hope. At the very least, I would like to see these two work together again. Maybe uh, Gangs of London season two potentially could make a could make an appearance. We'll see. I mean, I do know that uh, that is in the works. I don't know if uh, Gareth Evans is involved, um, but I do know a. I think it's like a spinoff series to Gangs of London is actually in the works. So. Who knows? Maybe a, a, a spin-off to Gangs of London. I know, like the way it ends, you wouldn't think that would be possible, now, would you? <laughs> uh, I was like this close to being out on season two in general, and when you said that, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> you're gonna try and push another of these shows on me? Nah, then you're not even gonna get season two out of me. Sorry. Yeah, uh, folks at home, I'm pretty sure I was the one who poked Brad into to watching that show. Um, funny enough this happens a lot in my life um i'll be the one who tells other people to watch a thing before i've even watched it uh that actually happened with the raid by the way um a good a, really? a friend of mine we we kind of discovered it together we found the trailer on a, I think it's i forget what they rebranded it to but the website was called twitch film at the time i think we found a, a trailer for the raid way back when um and he ended up watching it like a couple of years before i ended up watching it and that was that's pretty shocking especially considering how much enthusiasm i had for that but same kind of deal with gangs of london i had that 
that blu-ray collecting dust on my shelf for probably a year uh, after brad had already watched it on like amc or whatever yeah I, you might owe me uh 20 to be honest because uh you're the one that uh got me into this and i started watching it on amc their app which um it was letting me watch it through a cable login that was uh Let's just say it was my own. It was definitely not my parents. It was definitely my own that I was using to log in and watch it. And then I got about halfway through the season and I'm like, oh, this is this is pretty good. I'm liking this. All right. And then the episodes expired before I finished it. And I'm like, oh, shit. So then I had to buy the Blu-ray because I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to wait until it pops up somewhere else to stream for free. And uh, I started watching the second half of the season and it was infinitely went downhill um pretty quickly and i was like wow so i just bought this for the worst batch of episodes but uh, I, I did get to finish the uh season at least yeah sorry about that but uh it nah it's it, I, it it really did not end well it's such a shame too because it starts out so good like it it it, it yeah. comes it comes charging out the gate and it's just like damn it <laughs> it's like well i mean that that's kind of like I've, I've said this numerous times it's kind of what scares me away from series format productions anyway is that, like that there's always that fear in the back of my mind that's like are they gonna fuck this up like is are they gonna make me feel for a while that like i'm doing something good with my time and then they're gonna fuck me <laughs> it's like it there's always a chance that'll happen but it is what it is yeah, it, it was still worth it. I I did like uh, some of the early episodes, and the uh, the farmhouse episode was pretty pretty great. Yeah, the the highs are very very high in that show. Yeah. Um. So I'll, I'll give it yeah. that much, and and also remember it's 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 a series. Not every episode is directed by Gareth Evans. It's I I forget which ones he even was involved with, but it it has ups and downs. But thankfully, the ups are very 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 much worth it if you ask me unfortunately it it doesn't really go where anybody would have wanted it to <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um anyway uh that's enough out of me and my uh indonesian crap uh brad uh ball is to you sir um what is your next powerful pairing well let's talk about uh a filmmaker set of films i'm sure i've mentioned be i i know i've mentioned before again i'm I'm just i'm beating the dead horse with a lot of these but whatever we're having fun right uh i'm gonna talk about i mean in terms of like star ratings and stuff definitely wouldn't be like up there as like you know one of my top five top ten filmmakers but in terms of me wanting to champion this guy a little bit because he's popular, but like, you know, you go up to, you, you go into somebody's uh, bedroom and they got a Scarface poster on their wall. They're probably not going to know this guy or be a fan of him, but you know, in certain circles, he's very well known. But anyway, I'm talking about Dario Argento, Dario Argento. And uh, you know that I'm a big Jalo fan. I love the Jalo genre. I'm a Jalo head. And it kind of all got uh, born out of me discovering this guy's films. And I'm specifically going to talk about his pairing with, let me pull up her name here so I don't mess it up because she is Italian. It is Daria Nicolodi. Nicolodi. Daria Nicolodi. Nicolodi. Don't know. But anyway, she is actually, um, and I don't know their history totally together, but she was, she sadly passed away. Um, she was a, uh, a 
romantically involved partner with uh, Dario Argento. So talk about powerful pairings. These two were in love. And I believe she is the uh, mother of, is it is it Asia or Asia Argento? I think it's like Asia. Asia. She, I believe she is the mother of Asia Argento. But she pops up in a lot of this guy's films. And I'll be honest, I didn't know they were, uh, you know, together in the... Um, in the uh, you know biblical sense, uh, for, until I was looking up uh, who we, about her when we were going to do this episode, I feel like I should I should look up uh, what's this girl's deal. Um, but no, she pops up in Suspiria. She's in Suspiria, and I've got the Synapse Blu-ray. Embarrassing, embarrassing that I don't have the Synapse 4K, but the Blu-ray does look gorgeous. But I don't have the 4K, so slightly embarrassing. She pops up in Tenebrae, which I need to rewatch this because even though I've only seen this once, it is growing in my mind to be one of my favorite Argento films. This is another Synapse release. I've got uh, the Code Red, I believe, Code Red release of Opera. She's in this. Don't remember her role in this, but I looked it up on IMDb and she is in it. And uh, she is also in uh, Phenomena. The Synapse release of Phenomena I have here. She is in this. And uh, finally, the one that I remember her from the most, because she's sort of the uh, the, the co-lead, I guess, the, the love interest, the female lead. Uh, she is in Deep Red. And uh, I have two versions of Deep Red here. I have the awesome Arrow uh, limited edition Blu-ray here, which, you know, you got your... You got your poster in here. You got a you got a booklet, which is nice. Let's let's smell let's smell the paper here. It smells exact. Well, this is a I bought this a little bit longer ago, so the smell is wearing off a little bit, but still has that sawdusty smell. Very nice. Um, so that's the limited edition Blu-ray, and I will say, just recently purchased, just came in the mail in the last week. I have the 4K of deep red the arrow video 4k still in the shrink wrap still in there um but i do believe this actually has some new bonus features compared to the blu-ray and uh i i like deep red a lot so i said you know what screw it arrow has a sale going on i'm gonna pop on this and buy it and uh i did finally upgrade uh the because i did watch the blu-ray twice so i said you know what i watched it twice it was worth the $35 I spent on it. I think I got my money's worth, two viewings. So now I can justify buying the 4K. If I can watch this twice, then I'll justify that. So, but, um, I mean, she's she's great in all these films. I don't, like, some of them, like, opera I've only seen once. I don't totally remember her in that. But she's pops up in more films than this even. Just these are the ones that uh, I own that he has, that she is in. And, uh, yeah, she's got a great, she's got a kind of, interesting look and vibe to her where in deep red she's like the love interest but i i'm pretty sure in one of these she does end up being the the villain the killer uh and i'm not going to say which one because not only would it be spoiler but i also don't remember so there you go but um yeah she's she's very good uh you know it's hard to judge like in terms of performance because like with dubbing and stuff but She's got a great screen presence, and uh, yeah, I do love uh, Mr. Argento's films. I'm very excited, even though it's probably going to be not great. I'm very excited for his uh, new film coming later this year. Quite excited for it.
Oh shit! I had no idea he had a he had a film in production at the moment. Um, yeah. Do you happen to know the title off the top of your head? I want to say it's either, it's like dark sunglasses or black sunglasses or dark glasses or black glasses something in that vein. Um, <laughs> it it's already done. I think it's already screened. Uh, I believe it's coming to Shutter sometime in October. So it's it's right around the corner. Wow. That's yeah, maybe it was no it's October or November, I can't remember, but it's within the next couple of months. I mean, I know his uh his more recent offerings have don't have the same reputation that his earlier stuff has, but you know, just the fact that he's still active, that that's pretty fucking yeah. cool. Um because yeah. his, his name carries a lot of weight. Um mm-hmm. not a filmmaker again uh, that I have the most experience with. However, I'm I'm well aware that he you're a big fan of his work. Um, and just the giallo genre in general. Um, funny enough, actually, I, I was watching a, a review of Tenebrae today uh, on the YouTubes. Um, previously, all I really knew about the film was uh, a couple of kill moments uh, that I had seen in like montage format uh, in like horror documentaries uh, over mm-hmm. the years. Um, but also, Brad um, pointed out to me the soundtrack for that movie is a killer um and uh yeah it is it's a banger uh, for sure well, now maybe it should be a good time for me to reveal i have i have a big announcement to make here oh um not, not really but i am actually uh <laughs> it, the score in a lot of these films is done by goblin and i am actually going to see goblin in concert now Goblin did split in two, so I'm seeing the Claudio Simonetti version of Goblin. I'm seeing his iteration of Goblin. Um, I don't know. I think he's the only original member still in it, but uh, they're going on tour, and what they're doing, and I'm hyped for this, they're screening Suspiria, and they're going to play the score live in concert during while the movie plays. Then there's going to be an intermission and then Goblin will come back out and play a, a medley of highlights, all their bangers from Deep Red to Tenebrae. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be wild. I'm going to be moshing in the front row. Uh, it's it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, man. Just just remember concentric circles. Keep it tight. Yeah. <laughs> you must protect this house. <laughs> oh, wow. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. when, when is that? Uh, November 1st, I want to say. Wow. Way to mm-hmm. go, Brad. That, that's a hell of a score. Um, it I, was probably the fastest I've ever bought a concert ticket. I, I mean, shit. I, that's that's exciting, man. I, yeah. I've, like, I haven't seen many Giallo films or Italian horror films in general, but I I know Goblin. Like, I, mm-hmm. I have YouTube playlists that like circulate through these things, and it's like, inevitably, if it has a little bit of a disco vibe and it's good in Italian... It's probably Goblin. <laughs> like they're they're fantastic. Uh, again, I, I I guess I can't speak for which iteration of Goblin is the superior Goblin. Um, yeah. But whatever one you're going to see, I hope it's great because that that sounds amazing. Yeah. In terms of their website, yeah. I can say I am seeing the superior version. I can absolutely say that 100% because I checked out the uh, the other version of Goblin's website and. Uh, it looks like it's from 1997, so <laughs> I don't know uh, what's going on there. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very much excited for it. It'll be fun. Oh wow, that is so cool, man. Um, as far as uh, Asia Argento is concerned, um, 
I, I know, like, I, I'm well aware that she often works with her father. Um, and also, I know he's, like, yeah. worked with other family members. I think, like, an, a wife or an ex-wife or something is in Tenebrae. In well, fact. yeah, that's 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 who I'm talking about, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about Daria Nicolo... I already messed up her name. Uh, <laughs> Daria Nicolodi. There Nicolodi. Yeah, yeah. Nicolodi. D, Italian D, right? Nicolodi. Sure. Nicolodi. I'm I'm from the yeah. West Coast, Brad. We we don't we don't encounter <laughs> that as often as as some some of the folks on the other coast. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Asia definitely she could be another powerful pair with her father. Um, but uh, her her stuff with him was more later in his yeah. career. I mean, I would hope um, so. So yeah, I've, I I actually don't know if I've seen any of the films that the two of them have done together to be totally honest hmm. i think the I only think the mo- first i think the only movie i've actually seen her in wasn't one of his i think it was like land of the dead or something yeah she's in that i think she uh, i want to say the first one that she was in with uh argento was the stendhal syndrome hmm. um that was in 96 uh oh no apparently i know she's in trauma that was uh 93 uh yeah, Trauma was the first uh, Dario Argento joint that she was in, and I actually have that. I have the vinegar syndrome, I believe. wasn't sure if it was vinegar syndrome or Kino or what the hell it was, but I believe that is a vinegar syndrome one. Um, and uh, that's one I will be watching. I mean, I'm going to see Goblin in concert. Dario Argento's got a new movie out this year. Let's just say. If you uh, take a listen to to my podcast, the Cinema Speak podcast, you are going to be Argentoed out. You're going to be overloaded with me talking about Argento. We're going through it all, baby. The highs and the lows in the next couple of months. We got to do it. You got to go into the deep end head first. It's going to be a, a couple uh, an Argento celebration. Oh yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to all those micro reviews at the end of your uh, Cinema Speak podcast episodes, but. Um... I know I ask you this every time Giallo comes up, but like, I, again, I, this is this is something I inherited from my buddy who helped us set up this live stream. Um, uh, what would you say is your favorite among those titles, Brad? <laughs> hmm. Well, that's tough. That is tough because. Uh, Gorsh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, online, I see a lot of people say Deep Red is like the just like if you're going to sh- show somebody one Jalo, it's Deep Red. And I do think that it actually does in terms of highlighting like what makes this this the staples of the genre. Deep Red probably would be a good one because it's got the elaborate kills. It's got a great reveal of the killer. Um I, I, I will say I need to watch the original cut of Deep Red because I've only seen, I don't know the name of the cut, but uh, the extended cut. And that version, I think, is a little long. And I actually want to watch the shorter version. And maybe I would say Deep Red then because that's honestly the only complaint I have with Deep Red is it's a little like overextended. But if I had to pick my favorite, I honestly think I would say The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, Dario Argento's first film. It's not as stylized. But I, I think it's it looks amazing. It's really well directed. It's got a good mystery. It's got a great reveal. The kills are fairly brutal. Like they're not like super elaborate or creative. Like it's a little more straightforward. Um, but it's got a really cool Ennio Morricone score. 
And uh, yeah, I, I, I think right now I would say the bird with the crystal plumage, but it, it could change. I mean, I, I love Tenebrae. I need to rewatch Tenebrae. That could easily jump to my favorite. And they all they all rock, baby. They all rock. <laughs> Glad to hear it, man. Uh, you had mentioned uh, some of those as being your favorites before, so that I'm not surprised there. But um, it's funny, actually. I'm I'm curious to see uh, phenomena uh, mm-hmm. for weird reason, though, um, because there's a a, a Japanese exclusive uh, game for the Super Nintendo for the Super Famicom uh, called uh, Clock Tower. Um, that's actually like a legit, like legit scary Super Nintendo game, and, and it's a Japanese-only release. However, it's very, very easy to find translated versions of it online or like playthroughs on YouTube or what have you. Um, and I guess a lot of uh, direct inspiration was lifted from that film to the point that the the main character, the playable character in the game, basically is a young Jennifer Connelly. Um, it's set in a mansion. There's uh, stuff involving like like wildlife like insects and birds and stuff again i haven't seen phenomena but i i love that game um and i find lots of aspects of it legitimately unsettling um Mm -hmm. and i i'd be curious to see what the actual movie source material is like if it if it bears any sort of resemblance to the game but uh do you have any feelings on that one in particular uh, I, I've only seen it once. I did like it. Uh, it definitely, I remember there being quite a few animals in it. So if you're saying there's some animals in the game, bugs, what? yeah, that that's seems to be from the movie. And, uh, I, I feel like that was some of my favorite stuff. Like the use of animals. I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like somebody gets killed by a monkey or something. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's one where it was not like amazing watching it but there was like that highs were really high and i think it had a really good ending too um plus that one has um a uh a pretty solid cast like you know jennifer connelly and i want to say it's um donald pleasance i believe uh is in it as well so i think you're wrong with either of them yeah i think you're right on that um but yeah Yeah. that's one that i'd like to check out personally but any any one of those honestly like even even if there are lesser titles in his filmography i i think i'm i'm ready to to dive into argento like maybe october yeah buddy yeah maybe october is the time for me too yeah buddy yeah Okay, well, thanks for sharing that one, Brad. I, I, of I kind of expected some form of Giallo to come up, but I wasn't exactly sure which variety we'd be getting. So good good picks, good picks. So predictable. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear like if uh, if your feelings on that one uh, are actually, like if you appreciate it more when the runtime is cut down, um, because mm-hmm. sometimes that is a problem with extended cuts of films. It's like, you know, more more ne- doesn't necessarily mean better, especially in in terms of film. Like like a, a narrative yeah. film is an incredibly sensitive thing that just excising or adding a couple of additional frames is is it can make the difference between something great and something just plain like good. Um, yeah, we're gonna force feed this one up to a five. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> we'll we'll get there by the by the time we get to Goblin, it'll be a five. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, so I suppose the ball is to me. Um, so again, I'm gonna do the lazy thing. I'm, this chair isn't even all that comfortable. Just for some reason, my ass is glued to it. Um, so I'm going to uh, p- 
pick the one that's closest to me, and I'm going to go with uh, the powerful pairing of uh, Yun Wu Ping and Donnie Yen. Uh, so I have here three DVDs of uh, mismatched couples uh, in the line of duty four. And sorry for the glare, folks. Um, and Tiger Cage 2. And uh, this one looks like a bootleg. I think it might be a bootleg. The other two are official DVDs, though. <laughs> can, can I interrupt you real quick? And I don't mean to interrupt you, but just when you said three, it just made me think. I, I, I made a rule that for a powerful pairing, they had to have at least done three movies together. That was my rule. Because there's a few where I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, they're a powerful pairing. But then you look and it's just like, oh, they did two great iconic movies together but they didn't do a third so mine was you got to have at least three got to have at least three i don't have to own three but you got to have at least three to be a powerful parent so that was my rule just throwing that out there. i think that's actually a very solid house rule um thankfully i think i adhered to it uh so we, we don't have to worry about stepping on each other's toes there um but yeah I, that that wouldn't sit well with me either if if like you if you called that like a, a, a pairing between director and star or something. It's like they did two fucking movies. Like, that's a, like, like they, uh -huh. that just means that they had a pit stop. That just means they worked together. Like that just happens sometimes. That doesn't mean that there was any enthusiasm or anything connecting the two of them. That just means that, you know, happenstance or something. But um, that is not the case uh, with this pairing. Um, and in fact, uh, I only own these three movies that, that put these two together, but um, in actuality, uh, Donnie Yen was very much uh, kind of like discovered by Yuan Wuping. Um, this is the earliest film of his that I own, uh, Mismatched Couples. I think this is from like uh, 86 or 85 or something. It's from the mid 80s. Um, but the two of them, like Donnie Yen very much was not in the film industry. And then like Yuan Wuping kind of discovered him. Uh, and put him to work, uh, really showcased his talents uh, to, to great effect. Um, and most of Donnie Yen's earlier films, like within the first 10 years of his career, were directed by Wu Ping. Um, and he, it, it's really obvious why the two of them work together. Um, and you'll notice a theme in, in a lot of the, the films I'm talking about. A lot, a lot of what I think makes uh, the pairing of like a martial arts actor and director slash choreographer, like almost, I, I want, I don't want to say it's more important, but like there's, there's an additional layer to things because it's, it's almost like a, a director can sometimes be characterized as like a athletic coach um, to actors in some ways where it's like you are able to identify the limitations, the liabilities and the thresholds um, that you're dealing with when it comes to a person's skill set. Um, so from an acting standpoint, you have a, you have a director who is able to identify uh, and, and kind of mold um, a direct, an actor's performance to what the, what the production demands. Um, in the case of a physical performance, though, like, like any of these, like a martial arts performance, um, we're also talking about just like raw physicality. Um, and I imagine as a stunt performer, as a, as a martial artist on film, uh, it's probably very, very valuable uh, to work with directors um, who are able to understand understand your your boundaries, I guess. Like understand like how like how best to showcase your capabilities 
and how best to hide your liabilities. Um, and there's there's something magical that that happens between like stunt performers and and directors and choreographers when when they are on the same page when they vibe with each other that's when you get the very best work out of both um and donnie yen became a student of the game in later years uh, he went on to direct films of his own uh, in the in the mid to late 90s um he has extensive background in doing martial arts choreography uh, of his own um, not necessarily even performing it just like directing other stunt performers to do to do the motions and whatnot um, and I think a lot of him expanding his tool set came from working with a guy who is often thought of as kind of one of the great masters of the craft of of Hong Kong or martial arts action cinema from decades ago to I don't even, I don't know if he's still working today um but if he if he is capable i'm sure i'm sure there are offers like showing up at his door pretty much every day because there, there's a reason he was the first name that came to mind when they're putting together the matrix when the wachowskis were scouting talent for for choreography detail it was just like whooping let's go with that guy <laughs> um but these films uh none of these are extraordinary donnie yen or whooping films but this one's fun. Uh, Mismatched Couples is fun because it's actually a breakdancing film uh, that has, like, I think exactly one fight sequence in it. The rest of it is B-Boy Donnie Yen. Um, and if you've ever wanted to know what uh, Cantonese B-Boy music sounds like from the 80s, uh, just just look this sucker up. Look up the title sequence where uh, Donnie Yen is pop-locking down the sidewalk. It's pretty spectacular. <laughs> um Tiger Cage 2 is a lot of fun. Uh, the, the cast for this one is a, a big part of why it's a lot of fun is because uh, Donnie Yen actually works with a couple of his friends from when he was living in Boston. Uh, I think it's Michael Johnson and John Salviti, uh, the latter of which would go on to help him with choreography duties for many of his films in the late 2000s and whatnot. Also, uh, Robin Shu, or uh, Shu, um, a.k.a. Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat, serves as the antagonist of this one. Uh, so you've, if you've ever wanted to know what a, I don't know, young Robin Show versus young Donnie Yen looks like, you can find it here. Um, and In the Line of Duty 4 uh, is basically also includes everyone I just mentioned, uh, with the exception of Robin Show. Um, it's also a fun one. Uh, also a pairing of both Wu Ping and Donnie Yen uh, from, I believe, the early 90s or the late 80s. Um, but yeah, uh, interesting slice uh, out of Donnie Yen's career. Um, and also, it's it's important to note, like, the two of them certainly benefit mutually uh, from, from working together. Like, they definitely both went on to do amazing things beyond each other. Um, but in this particular era, in the late 80s or the mid-80s, uh, they really did some fantastic things together. Well, I was just looking up... Um the director there and uh i first of all i didn't know and i had totally forgotten i didn't know that he directed the uh crouching tiger hidden dragon sequel uh and i completely forgot that existed <laughs> that was like i felt like i just had like a weird it was like wow oh, yeah i i do remember that because i think that was kind of early in netflix's streaming you know and that was kind of a, I remember it was kind of a big thing. It's like, whoa, a movie like that's going to Netflix? That's a, and nowadays it feels like, oh, yes, okay, a Crouching Tiger 
Hidden Dragon sequel going to Netflix? Sure. But I remember at the time, it's like, whoa, that's a big get for Netflix. Um, and I, I never saw it. I, I, did you ever see it? No, I never saw it. And I, I've only had access to Netflix very recently, but that is not on my list of things I'd like to check out. Um, I heard it was... Because mm-hmm. he's in it, right? Donnie Yen is in it. it I think like. so. I I don't know. It's if I'm being 100 percent honest, Donnie Yen has this like pattern in in his filmography where th- there are a lot of movies of his. Like as talented as the man is, there there are plenty of movies of his that I will just point at and say, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like I'm I'm sorry, I'm just not interested. Um, and that was kind of if he is in fact in that one. I had zero hype for that. I was like, first of all, why? And second of all, like nothing you're showing me looks at all on on par with with that other extraordinary film. <laughs> um, just leave it alone, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that he has directed many films. Uh, he he kind of vacillates back and forth between um, being strictly a, a martial arts choreographer and also like being a, a full-on director um i think the most recent film of his that i've seen that he directed was um i think it's called master z uh it's a spin-off of the wilson yip directed uh and donnie yen headlined yipman films uh the quote antagonist of the third film played by max zhang uh he he proved popular enough that it's like well let's just give him a movie and let's put fucking batista in it because <laughs> and then also it's directed by Wu Ping, who also did the choreography, as far as I know, um, and also has Michelle Yeoh, uh, who is always welcome. Uh, she's great. Um, and there's a fun trivia factoid in there, if memory serves. I could be wrong, but um, I think Max Zhang, the star of the movie, served as Michelle Yeoh's stunt double um, in, in like the early 2000s. Uh, so there's actually a fight scene between the two of them in that film in master z and if that is in fact true that's kind of awesome like to to have like a a stunt double dueling their the person that they doubled for later in their career like that's like a very fascinating like passing of the torch kind of situation as far as i understand they're still trying to make max zhang work uh as a martial arts star uh i'm pretty sure mainland china loves him uh, being as he's in Pacific Rim 2, that movie that I don't think anybody, anybody outside of China likes. Um, and uh, he also has like a Wolf Warrior spinoff movie, which means that'll make a billion dollars. Um, but I don't know, his uh, his solo career post Yip Man 3. He has the look, but I don't know. He hasn't, he doesn't quite have the goods, if you ask me. But that that's like a, a ongoing struggle in the in the martial arts action category of film is like who's the next big thing it's like i i don't know <laughs> it's like nobody knows like it'll, yeah. we'll, we'll know five years after the fact but for now it's like donnie yen's in his 50s and scott adkins is in his mid 40s or upper 40s or something everybody's getting fucking old so we got to find the next big thing and i don't know who it's going to be but it's it'll be really exciting whenever that becomes clear but um yeah, uh, I guess that's enough uh, for me and my uh, uh, old ass Chinese shit. Uh, <laughs> Brad, what is your next well, powerful pairing? <laughs> real quick, if you had to pick from that pairing, uh, what would be the, your number one movie that you would pick for like someone who just if you they had to pick one? You oh, know? if I had to pick one, 
um, yeah. for for somebody who maybe wants to be introduced uh, to these two. Um, for, for me, yeah. For, for, me. for you, Brad. Um, for me, yeah. I would go with one that I don't own, um, but that you may have already seen, actually, uh, because it actually did receive a domestic release. Um, I don't know how much enthusiasm was behind it, but you could find it at Blockbuster, like in the early 2000s, maybe. Okay. Uh, or late 90s. Um, Iron Monkey uh, would be the one. I oh, yeah. I never saw that, but I, I know it. Yeah. Uh, Iron Monkey is a very good showcase of uh, the, the Wuja style. So very similar to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like like really fanciful uh, wire work, very, very imaginative and, and kind of whimsical, unrealistic martial arts choreography. Um, I forget the name of the, uh, I think it's an actress, but um, they do a thing in Chinese cinema very often where they have uh, like gender swaps for uh, children, where it's like, it's very common to have a young girl play a young boy or, or vice versa. Um, I think it's a young girl, I could be wrong, but uh, incredible martial artist. Um, it has a couple of showcase sequences in there that are stellar. Um, and then Donnie Yen's in there, uh, he, he's his usual stoic self. Uh, I don't like what I I don't prefer stoic Donnie Yen if I'm being honest. I I like I like like arrogant shit heel Donnie Yen. And he's he's stopped kind of doing it as often, but it's like I'm always happy when that Donnie Yen shows up when it's like he's kind of a prick, but I like him for it. It's like he's basically like think like Maverick or Tom Cruise from from Top Gun. It's like when when Donnie Yen has swagger, when he's got his frosted tips and shit going, like that's when you know you're going to have a good time. When he's doing the Ip Man thing that, you know, made all the money in the world and most international audiences know him for, that's good. Like, that's fine. But it's like, come on, man, bust out some of that attitude. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. But yeah, Iron Monkey would probably be like, that would be the one I would go with just because it has, it's very well-rounded because these ones I yeah. pointed out are a little bit more niche, I guess. Like, Mismatch Couples is just a bizarre film. Um, and the other two are like, you have to be in the mood for specifically that vibe, like that era of Hong Kong cinema that has a very specific vibe to it. Whereas Iron Monkey, it's just like, I want a Chinese martial arts film. There it is. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. I, I do remember that when it came out, though. I just looked up the DVD cover. Now I'm like, yeah, I definitely remember seeing that at yes. Blockbuster or whatever. Speaking of uh, redubs of uh, of foreign films uh i i did mention that with what they did with the raid like the other examples that come to mind are uh uh black mask the jet lee film uh they they completely rescored it with a hip-hop soundtrack i think it's mostly wu-tang clan songs i could be wrong on that but it's definitely a hip-hop score um nice and then uh you can even see it on the graphic on the live stream uh, the the protector in the center of your youtube screen um, oh yeah that's actually the the Thai film, uh, Tom Young Gung, um, that as far as I know, was completely re-edited for international release. And also the, the, uh, advertising campaign for it was like relentless with throwing Quentin Tarantino's name all over the fucking place. It's like, he had nothing to do with the making of this film. He, he like threw a few bucks at the production house to get the distribution rights. And that was kind of the extent of it. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 its own thing. It it happens from time to time. Um, and Iron Monkey, as far as I remember, um, had a similar situation to like uh, to Tom Young Goon, where they did. I don't know if they re-edited it, but they most certainly 
through through someone else's name on it to try to sell the thing to to western audiences mm-hmm. yeah um anyway uh ball is to you sir what is your next pick all right, the next one, I'll go with, uh, this one's a little bit of an obvious one, maybe. It's an obvious, but a goodie. It's an obvi- It's an obvious, but a goodie. Um, and it is, I'm going to talk about, I would say if I had to pick one actor as my favorite, I would go with this guy. We're going to be talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman and Paul Thomas Anderson. I know, yeah, pa- Paul Thomas Anderson, he's, you know, he's an obvious choice in terms of you know he's he's up there in terms of famous filmmakers like the the film bros love him but uh hey uh i I, i'm a bro and i like film so i guess i'm a film bro and i love him and uh philip seymour hoffman i would probably say is maybe my favorite actor um it was very uh sad when he passed and uh still miss his performances but uh of course he did lots of films with paul thomas anderson I do believe he did Hard Eight. He had a very small role in Hard Eight, but that was uh, PTA's first film. Then he's got another small role in Boogie Nights, which um, I think this blue. I don't think there's a 4K of this yet. I think this is the best we got. Uh, Boogie Nights is such a watchable movie. Like this is one of those ones. Like I don't have cable, but it'd be like a movie where if it pops up on cable, no matter where you're at in the movie, no matter what you're doing, you're sitting down and you're watching Boogie Nights now. Um, it's just so entertaining. And, you know, you, you could say it's, you know, a, a young filmmaker doing his Scorsese riff. And that, you know, that's fair enough. But I, I, I absolutely love Boogie Nights. Uh, we got Magnolia, which is a film that I need to revisit this. Of course, it's over three hours. So it's not like an easy one to just pop on on a Sunday afternoon. Um, I really like Magnolia the last time I saw it. I feel like maybe some elements of it might be a little too precious if I were to watch it now. Cause uh, I mean, the last time I probably saw it in full would have been at least five, six, seven years ago, at least. Um, but I do love the, the performances in it. Um, yeah. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's got a little bit of a heavier role in this one. He's the uh, nurse to, I think, is it Jason Robards? Um, and he, he's very good in this. Uh, his, you know, segment with him and the bringing Tom Cruise in. I mean, it, it's, it's some pretty powerful stuff. And I, I am a big fan of these films of like, you know, people interconnecting and stuff like that. It's, it's a genre. It's a sub genre. I like, um, he has a great role in punch drunk love, another small performance. Um, it, it is interesting that Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he does he did a lot of small roles with pta like obviously they were frequent collaborators i assume they were good friends but um most of the stuff was you know fairly uh most of the roles were you know pretty short on screen time this might be i mean maybe one of my favorite performances of uh philip seymour hoffman i mean he absolutely kills it in this movie with the little screen time i i love him as the sleazy mattress salesman who's running a uh phone sex ring from the back office just it, it's a, he's amazing in it and um he plays a good sleazeball he plays a real good sleazeball and uh also uh not a pta film but in before the devil knows you're dead he's a real good sleazeball in that and then probably his like biggest uh pta role would be in the master um i i know he did get an oscar nomination for this 
Uh, and he's very, very good in it. Uh, him and uh, Joaquin Phoenix going toe to toe. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is up there as an actor I love as well. I mean, him, Joaquin Phoenix in The Master is like just like such great performance. I mean, there's nothing like it. Um, but Philip Seymour Hoffman is awesome in it as well. And uh, this is one that's definitely grown on me more and more the more I, I watch it. But yeah, I can't really say there's a PTA film I dislike. Um, honestly, probably Hard Eight would be down there. Just, you know, it's his first film. It's not like amazing. And uh, I got to be honest, Licorice Pizza, I, I need to revisit it. It did not wow me. It, his newest one, I know a lot of people loved it. It was up for a bunch of Oscars. Did not wow me like it did a lot of people. So I don't know what I'm missing on that one. But of course, that one is notable for having um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son in the lead role, which uh, is very cool. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, their collaborations together are uh, are pretty great. Yeah, truly, truly amazing stuff. Uh, both of them. Uh, PTA is one of those directors. Like, if he makes it, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to take notice, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I say that as somebody who has yet to see The Master. Um, I know, Brad, you've spoken very, very highly of it numerous times. Um, very much something I, I will not allow myself to forget about. Um, I really would be excited to check that one out. Uh, Licorice Pizza also, I haven't watched. Although, I have been hearing that uh from from other people that are fans of his work that's like it didn't quite click uh, the way some of his other works have um but there's just a level of quality uh, that a lot of his films have that it's just some intangible something or other that it's just like damn this is a fucking film <laughs> like um it it feels nourishing uh to to like consume one of his films in some ways um and <laughs> i totally agree with you about punch drunk glove uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Jeez. is f- fucking hilarious in that. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that that exchange over the phone between him and Adam Sandler is legendary. Just the the cro- the cutting back and forth between the two of them and the physicality of his performance. Like he he really was an unbelievable talent on screen. Like he could do anything. Like you you could ask him to do anything and he would do it probably better than than, you know, the top five percent of the people in the world that could even be considered for the task i mean for fuck's sake he was actually fairly intimidating in mission impossible 3 and that wasn't like a super demanding production but like he showed the fuck up for it um yeah he could have just phoned that in and he he brought it yeah no he he really demanded a lot of the other people on the set with him and and it actually worked out quite well um, I thought, like, as for the little screen time he had in that film, he, he was fantastic. Um, and Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, yes, he was a complete fucking scumbag in that, but an utterly compelling character on on film. Uh, that was yeah. that was a film that uh, Kyle uh, selected for us to review for Catching Up on Cinema a long time ago, and I'm really glad he did because it would have it would have been off my radar. But um, we actually that whole month we were spotlighting uh, actors who had passed away and uh, that's right yeah that's and, right uh, yeah that, i think it was moving on march i think was the name of the name of the event month it was like him and like anton yelchin and I like i forget who else but like that was one of the big ones that month for sure but um mm-hmm. yeah uh, pta is is unbelievable filmmaker like I, I some something about the stuff he does and i actually agree with you wholeheartedly about boogie nights that 
I don't know what it says about me, but that really isn't any any time kind of movie. Like it really is like I could watch Boogie Nights every day, probably for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and never get bored of it. Um, that's one actually I'm I would like to watch with the girlfriend, but I'm curious like like how she'll interpret that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I haven't done that either. That'd be an interesting one to try and do because yeah, it's it's all it's one of my favorites. It, it, so. I, it's gonna happen it at some really point. It really is. Like I have seen it many, many times, and it is really, really good. In fact, I think at one point I had it saved on my PS3 hard drive, <laughs> like in probably mm-hmm. like like yeah. 720p like format or something. It it's a remarkable film, and uh, that was that that and Magnolia were kind of the movies that that kind of tipped me off to uh, editing and and PTA and like mm-hmm. how how important that is to to that air of quality that a lot of his films have because i don't know if magnolia clicked with me like this the strongest either but the one thing that i will say about this that movie that i i don't think anyone can argue is that the editing the the way that film is constructed is some masterclass shit where it's like i i don't that's some big big brain shit that I, i don't have the equipment to conceive of how one would keep track of all those threads and and have them coalesce mm-hmm. so beautifully the way it does in that film um kind of similar to uh dunkirk i guess where it, it has that almost like home run vibe to it where it's just like yay they did it <laughs> like they did the thing that i was hoping they'd do for two and a half hours <laughs> uh, yeah i gotta watch i gotta rewatch that one i'm yeah that that is it is a banger. It's a banger. Oh, is that Magnolia or Dunkirk? Both, <laughs> but I was talking about Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I would totally rewatch it. I would I would rewatch pretty much any of his other movies. And and like I said, I still have some work to do to like catch up on everything that he's done. Um yeah, they're both truly amazing talents uh in the film industry and it's it's such a shame that Philip Seymour Hoffman is gone because he he really did have so much to offer. Um, like really he could be the funniest fucking guy um, and also like one of the heaviest dramatic actors at, at just the drop of a hat mm-hmm. what was it along came yeah, Polly yeah. or whatever that's right yeah, <laughs> yeah he's the highlight of that for sure I mean yeah the guy left behind uh, you know a legacy of great roles so he's got that at least going for him yeah yeah um, okay well uh, well, sorry to bring yeah, it down. Yeah, let's uh let's transition into something uh completely different. <laughs> bring please tell me you got somebody who's alive. <laughs> next. I, Give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, once again, I am reaching for the closest thing to me. And uh Brad, you'll not be surprised at all by this one. Um so this is a collaboration between uh, director and again martial arts actor um, that is currently like still ongoing as far as I know um, although I don't know if they have anything in the works at the moment I, I hope so um, so I have here uh, seven films uh, between star Scott Adkins and director uh, Jesse V. Johnson uh, so I unfortunately did not order these up in uh, like chronological order, uh, but we have uh, Pit Fighter, uh, which is the first collaboration between the two of them. Um, we have the pairing of the Debt Collector 
and Debt Collectors, uh, the unlikely sequel to The Debt Collector. Um, if you've seen the first movie, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, uh, we have Avengement. Uh, all four of those are on DVD, by the way. Uh, we have Triple Threat, uh, which is the Scott Atkins equivalent to The Expendables. However, it's very worth noting that he was in The Expendables too. <laughs> so this, this is more a Scott Adkins-centric Expendables-type film. Uh, then we have Savage Dog and Accident Man. Um, so Jesse V. Johnson, as far as I know, he is a British filmmaker, and Scott Adkins is a British martial artist. Um, as I said, uh, this film, Pit Fighter, um, <laughs> starring Dominique Vandenberg, um, who is a... I he speaks Flemish. I forget. He's, he's from some part of Belgium, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, there was a book called The Iron Circle that my friend had me read uh, that reeked of like bullshit martial arts biography. I don't know how true it is, but this man's claim to fame prior to this film was supposedly fighting overseas in like underground like bare-knuckle tournaments and shit, uh, doing a martial art called Kunto. Um, and then his other claim to fame was he got to stand next to Leonardo DiCaprio in Gangs of London, or uh, Gangs of New York, excuse me, <laughs> um, during the big, like, the big non-battle at the end of that movie. Um, but Scott Adkins has an incredibly small, like, stunt role in this film. It's, it's blinker, you'll miss it. He was not the man that he would go on to become. Uh, these films, The Debt Collector and Debt Collectors, uh, pair Scott Adkins with a Louis Mandalore, uh, who is brother to Costas Mandalore. Um, I don't know if you know either of those names, but uh, Louis Mandalore plays the younger brother in my big fat Greek wedding, if you've seen that one. Um, I like him as an actor. Uh, I think I think he's, I forget, I, I'm pretty sure he's ethnically Greek. I think he might be from Australia, um, but he's pretty skillful about covering his accent. Um, very versatile actor, very physical. Um, he he has a way of carrying himself that's a lot of fun. Um, I I recently spotlighted him on uh, my solo review of the Liam Neeson headlined film uh, Memory. Um, Louis Mandalore has exactly mm. one scene in that film, and he gets his head smashed onto a bar table. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's like only Louis Mandalore could have taken that hit the way he did. <laughs> but he gets he gets some dialogue in there beforehand, but. Um, I have Avengement, um, which, yes, that is the title, uh, Avengement. Um, this is actually one that I would love to have on Blu-ray, but as far as I know, the only Blu-rays that exist of it are on Region B. Um, this movie, I've I, I brought this up countless times with Brad, maybe best barroom fight of all time, like one of the best barroom brawls in action cinema. The last... Yeah. You sent me the clip, I think, right? I'm pretty sure I watched it. I'm pretty it. sure I've sent it to you two or three times uh, because it's... it's. Well, <laughs> I only watched it. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, I already owe you 20 bucks for that Gangs of London Blu-ray, so <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to ask any more of you. But yeah, truly, truly spectacular. And also, you know, from an acting standpoint, uh, Adkins gets to stretch his wings a little bit. Like, like you can kind of tell from the, the way he looks on the cover. He's playing a different sort of character, a little bit... A little bit more aggro, a little bit more rough around the edges than his usual clean-cut self. Um, Triple Threat, as I said, uh, this is kind of his Expendables film. The, the cast for this film, I don't know if you can see on the cover, but uh, 
truly, truly spectacular who we have in here. We have Michael Jai White, uh, Tiger Chen, who is a charisma vacuum, but he's a decent martial arts performer. And he's very, very, very good at uh, protecting other performers, I guess. Like, he's, he's good at working with non-performers, I guess. Like, he's good at making other people look good. He's a jobber to the stars, if you will. Uh, we have Tony Jaw front and center. Uh, the big head on there is Iko Uwais, uh, who is criminally underused in the film. But he's here, and he gets to do some stuff. Uh, we have uh, Jija Yanin, uh, who is a, a Thai uh, martial artist. Uh, that She was in, like, Raging Phoenix. And uh, I forget if that was her in Chocolate, but she's, a, she's very talented. Uh, Michael Bisping and, of course, uh, Scott Atkins. Um, I got to see this one in the fucking theater with my brother. That was a really cool time. We also have Savage Dog, which uh, also pairs uh, Scott Atkins with uh, Marcos Roar, um, who I will uh, pull up here, um, because the, the fellow wielding the knife at the bottom of the cover, Marcos Roar, he's a Chilean martial artist, very tall um, and highly acrobatic. Uh, the two of them uh, shared the screen opposite each other, Scott Atkins and Marcos Roar, in uh, Undisputed 3, um, which I think Atkins credits as his best work. Um, like his, his finest martial arts performances on film. Um, that's saying quite a lot. Uh, so this was a reunion of the two of them. And in fact, the two of them are both uh, scheduled to be in John Wick 4 uh, together. So that'll be yet another reunion. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they find an excuse to throw them together again, um, being as they know each other and they know each other's rhythms and whatnot better. Um, and then the last one I have here is Accident Man. Um, this one, I'm actually not positive if... Uh, our director, uh, Jesse V. Johnson, is returning for this film, but uh, Accident Man 2, uh, Hitman's Holiday, is currently being advertised uh, and is actually going to be out next month, I think. Um, if I can see that in the theater, nice. I actually might, uh, because this is actually a fun little comic book action film. Um, it, I mean, the cover is evocative of uh, films that I generally don't like, like Smoking Aces, I'm looking at you. <laughs> but uh, this film's actually a lot of fun. And uh, it really showcases like Atkins's more playful side, I guess. Like he does have a sense of humor about him, and a lot of it's frankly toilet humor, very immature toilet humor at that. But um, for fuck's sake, you get Michael Jai White and Ray Park, um, so you get fucking Darth Maul and fucking Spawn uh, throwing hands with Scott Atkins in the same scene. It's kind of a big deal. But um, yeah, the two of these guys, these two uh, director and star, they they have done fantastic work together. Um, clearly they have a rapport that um, is exceptional uh, across in particular Adkins's career like he's he's worked with numerous directors many many times um, but seven fucking movies and counting clearly and also most of these are like on the higher tier in terms of overall quality triple threat in particular has a, a sheen to it like a production budget like production value to it uh, that a lot of his other films can't simply can't measure up to so whatever whatever the chemistry is between the two of them it's it must be special now i i want to I, I there's no probably real answer to this but like uh you know this jesse v johnson guy it seems like his movies uh maybe i mean maybe i'm just looking at his only the ones that are good i don't know but it seems like i'm looking at them it seems like they get a pretty good reception critically at least the ones i was looking at like avengement um and like is is there a reason why um you can think of why he hasn't really been given anything like 
the next level up you know what i mean i don't know actually that that's a question that i i'm continually looking for the answer for because uh there are like action movie centric podcasts out there scott atkins in fact has one of his own um that involves him interviewing uh, other professionals like in the same field um a lot of them are people he's worked with directly and some of them are people that he would like to work with someday and some of them are people from you know years past and whatnot um but there have been a few instances where he's picked the brains of people who are more invested in the actual like filmmaking process like directors as opposed to like action stars and whatnot um and i know piracy is a is a tremendous problem uh for in particular like 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 for lack of a better term like like uh red box caliber films um apparently a lot of them reap no profits because people just pirate them um, and as a result, a lot of these direct-to-video action productions just just don't make enough money. Um, and a lot of times, I would imagine studios are looking at your return on investment as a as one of those special indicators as to whether they'd want to hire you or not. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's weighing against him. Um, I I really don't know though because he does seem to know how to manage a production like like his films like are obviously of a lower budget level um but it doesn't seem to i don't see any evidence of like mismanagement or anything um it really could just come down to like he doesn't know the right people uh i i really don't know but it it is one of those things that like triple threat's probably the the closest he's gotten uh to like a, a mainstream like larger film production um yeah but i don't know if it's in the cards like if it's ever going to happen honestly Maybe he's just comfortable uh, doing his own thing. He doesn't want that. Uh, he doesn't want that pressure. I mean, if he's ha- if he's happy, hey, just keep on doing your thing, bud. Just keep whatever makes you happy. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious if like uh, I've 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 always championed them, but like 87 North, 87 Eleven Productions, like like they do fantastic work. But I'm like curious if like a few years down the line if they're going to turn into like a, a nasty corporate venture or something that starts like gobbling up these other smaller talented action studios or something where it's like oh jesse v johnson's not he's on the eighty-seven eleven payroll now he's just he's gonna do what they do now <laughs> it's like they could have mm-hmm. a heel turn or something as a res- like become victims of their own success or something i wouldn't be surprised if that happens but you know it's what it is you know, talking about piracy and return on investment, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but like, let's just get real here. And, you know, let's just let's throw it all down there. We, we've all watched some films illegally. We've all done it. We can all admit to it. Like, let's get real here. But nowadays and I'll say, you know, I think maybe maybe a long time ago, maybe I was watching stuff illegally just for the sake of being free. But yeah, I'm glad I'm glad a full screen for this because I got I got a lot to say about this. All right. Listen, you're going to pirate these movies and watch them in this garbage quality when you can just spend a couple of bucks and own them in gorgeous HD quality. What is this world coming to? If I were these people, is is your is your senses, is your experience of it a film not worth a couple bucks so you can watch it and actually look good and sound good and know that it's. It's it's illegal and your money's going to the artists. Like, come on now. I spent freak I 
I spent $70 between these two deep red releases. You can't spend $4 to watch Avengemen or rent it. Get real. Like, what's going on with people these days? They People don't know how good they got it. You know, you, you, you're a little bit older than me. You know better than I do how, how hard it used to be to find movies before, you know, the times of where you could rent everything online. You can buy everything online, whether, you know, I'm all about physical media, but it's easier than ever nowadays. If there's a movie you want to watch, chances are 99 point, well, we'll we'll say 95, let's say 95, 95% of movies. If you want to watch it, you can find it somehow to watch legally in probably pretty good quality online. And these people are still pirating movies. Come on. We got to support the Jesse, uh, V, whatever his name you said was, we need to support his him and Scott Adkins. Come on, people, it's not that hard. Like, let's go. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that's like if you if it's available to people that there's more than a few people that'll they'll take the easiest, cheapest route. Piracy is a difficult thing to to navigate around uh, i like brad mentioned I, I i dipped into it a time or two when i was younger for sure we all did we can admit it we all did all right we all did we're not pretending here anymore we've uh, it, it's happened but listen that life of crime is over you know what the last movie i pirated was you want to know and I, I could be wrong about this but i think the last movie i pirated it was the super mario brothers movie because i couldn't find it anywhere and this was in 2020 at the start of the pandemic i thought the world was ending i thought who's gonna care if i watch something illegally everything's done and but nowadays we're back on track i don't know if i can watch the super mario brothers movie <laughs> for i might have to if i wanted to watch it again i'd probably have to pirate it again but anyway Let's just, you know, spend some money. What are we like? Well, just how cheap are we? <laughs> and you know what? The problem is most people, they don't care. You go over to somebody's house, you watch a movie and they're what it like their TV looks like crap. They were watching it on DVD or streaming. They got motion smoothing on. Most people don't care. It looks like garbage. I, all right. I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done on myself. But that's the thing. Most people don't care about how something looks or the quality they don't care it's insane yeah it it is one of those things that like actually calls back to like the discussion i often have with kyle about we we notice different things when it comes to movies like the running gag with he and i is that he he doesn't notice music he doesn't notice the score for movies like he, he knows mm-hmm. he notices the soundtrack like the music like the musical choices the, the songs and whatnot but the score just it, he takes in the entirety of the production as one whole so that the the sound is married with the image it's not two distinct things i don't understand that um and also <laughs> <laughs> everything that i just said is bullshit like <laughs> i disapprove of that um but yeah the 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 quality thing is like that that i don't get it's like when i do go to someone else's house and it's like you you're okay with this? <laughs> like, like i brad i recently moved in with the girlfriend and you know one of the first things i did tweak those settings on that goddamn tv <laughs> because that was yep. in my bedroom no <laughs> unacceptable <laughs> no no smoothing we're not doing that bullshit in this household <laughs> we're not watching football 24 yeah. 7 we are watching fucking films 24 frames Good per second <laughs> <laughs> preach it brother preach that's right um uh, that being said uh, that's enough of me and my uh scott adkins man love uh 
Brad, uh, ball is to you. How about we call this the last pick, okay? What What are we doing again? What? Oh, yeah. Powerful pairings. Oh, boy. Let's, you know what? After that, after that move, we got, listen, I've, I went with the PTA, the obvious, the classy choice, the Phillips more like that's class. You know what? We're going, I'm going a hard left turn here. And this is almost an embarrassing choice. I'm going to go with an embarrassing choice. And you're probably going to be embarrassed for me with this one, but I got to do it. I have to do it. It is absolutely a pair, whether it's powerful or not. And I'm talking about a director who is extremely controversial. Maybe not extremely, but uh, I've heard, I think I've heard you and uh, lots of other people say that they don't like him. And I, I, for the most part, I would agree. I think I only like two films that he's done, to be totally honest. But um, that pair is Pete Berg and Mark Wahlberg, who just continue to pump out joints together. But I only own three of them. And the Lone Survivor, I don't even like that much. So really, I only care about these two. These are the only two I actually like. <laughs> but Deepwater Horizon and Patriots Day, I really like these movies as, uh, you know, overly uh, rah-rah Americana as they are, as overly sentimental as they can get. I think uh, Pete Berg, his direction in these two films, I think is really great. I And um, you could argue Patriots Day, like, yeah, is it? Was it too quick? Was it too quick of a turnaround? Probably. Um, but I, I think it's a very exciting and well-made film. And I, I will say, yeah, I, I hate how Mark Wahlberg solves everything. Like, yeah, that is that is dumb. He literally, he single-handedly, <laughs> like, captures the Boston Bombers. It's like, all right. Like, the, the point where he finds the guy in the boat. It's like, all right, you couldn't have found had somebody else find the guy in the boat? Come on now. But, um I, I think the cast is great in this. I think there's some great sequences. And hey, is it an obvious film that's going to make you cry? Yeah, of course. Of course. But did I cry? Absolutely. It, it hit me in the heart. Deepwater Horizon, uh, I, I think, is uh, maybe it's a I don't want to say it's a better film. It's it's a little less obvious, I feel like. Um, but I do feel like, yeah, when when shit hits the fan, I think it's, it's pretty effective. Lone Survivor, uh, this was a blind buy for me. It was the first one I watched out of this uh, group. I think it was the first one that Pete Berg and Mark Wahlberg maybe did together, at least in terms of these true events. Um, and Lone Survivor is probably my least favorite out of the the three, um, but they've continued to collaborate since they did. Uh, uh, what's that movie that you absolutely hated? Um, uh, I'm assuming you hated mile 22. Also, also featuring, too, which was also featuring Eco Ways, actually. Yes. Yep. Which, yes, it, it was not great, but the premise was good. I love the premise. I, I, what it was, they had to just drive 22 miles to escape. Or, I, I don't know. It was, it was a good, pre it was a bad movie, but a good <laughs> premise. Um, and then <laughs> they did the uh, Netflix movie Spencer Confidential which was not good, but I think it had at least a couple decent moments of action. I think I gave it a three, very generous three, but uh, there was at least a few things in it I liked. So listen, I'm not saying Pete Berg is a masterful filmmaker, but uh, I I kind of like his, uh, his films tackling real life tragedies. And I, I, I kind of hope he does, I, I, I don't want there to be more tragedies 
but if there is going to be another tragedy, I would much rather have Pete Berg do one of those again with Mark Wahlberg versus a mile 22 or a Spencer confidential. Um, because I mean, lone survivor, I think it, it is pretty watchable. I think it's, I think it's okay. But, uh, yeah, Deepwater Horizon and Patriot's Day, I, I, I like a fair bit. And the the score in Patriot's Day, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, got some good tracks in there. I mean, I, I enjoy these uh, these two films. Get it straight. I enjoy these two films. I'm not loving Pete Berg across the board, but at the very least, I'm, I'm a guy who, if a director makes a movie that I like, if he just can make one movie I like, a lot of the time I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and – that's what's happened with Pete Berg and Mark Wahlberg. I was, oh, it's another, it's another Pete Berg joint. I got to check it out. I, it's probably going to be bad, but you never know. We could have another Deepwater Horizon on our hands. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these guys are definitely uh, have been attached at the hip in the last uh, little bit. It's kind of like um, a little bit of a poor man's uh, uh, Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise. Like, they're just, like, connected together. Yeah, actually, that, that's not a terrible comparison. Um, stylistically, I've always felt that, like in more recent years, anyway, Peter Berg and Michael Bay seem to like parallel each other very strongly. Um, but yeah, Michael Bay yeah. hasn't really had like an actor that you can point to. Like he's too much into just like lensing and and staging and staging of stunt work mm-hmm. and stuff. I, I don't think like who the person who is on screen is is terribly important to Michael Bay as long as they look right. Like, as long as they're aesthetically correct to what his vision is. In terms of, like, actors, I don't think he gives two fucks. Um, Peter Berg, like, I know I talk a lot of shit about Peter Berg, but a lot of it comes down to, like, his, his the niche that he's found himself in. And, I mean, you were you were very candid about, like, pointing out exactly what, what we're talking about here. It's that, that rah-rah go America thing he has going lately. I, he does seem to be trending slightly away from it. Um, with his most recent offerings but i'm looking at his filmography right now um and it looks like he he kind of started out on a more conventional path and then ventured into like blockbuster cinema with the losers which was an unsuccessful well he didn't direct it but he wrote the losers which was an unsuccessful uh comic book adaptation uh one of chris evans's many 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 comic book movie roles by the way um but battleship was a travesty if you ask me um that's i i have not seen battleship so i'm not not commenting not endorsing because oh i think i lost you for a minute there but um yeah battleship <laughs> battleship is fucking terrible i'll just leave it at that and like aesthetically it's like engineered uh, to be evocative of the michael bay transformers films and as a result it's it's very noisy it's overly colorful and dreadfully dull uh, in terms of like i don't know it, it's narrative flow and it has zero characterization to it it's it's just not a very good movie um but lone survivor i i can watch that film i actually own that film um it's very watchable and actually it does have some solid performances to it um ben foster is always a win if you ask me um emile hirsch fell off a little bit but he you know he's he's a very capable actor um in general i think lone survivor is a fine film um like it it keeps it more focused on the the personalities than the politics i guess um 
But Deepwater Horizon, I haven't seen. Um, is that would you say that's one of the better ones? Uh, I mean, I, I've heard people say that. Yeah, out of those three, uh, people I've heard a few people say Deepwater Horizon is is their favorite. Um, I I think I'd pr- I'd probably give the edge to Patriots Day, even though yeah, I, the whole Mark Wahlberg thing. But I just like the procedural aspect of it. I think it's uh, pretty effective, so I would give it the edge because of that. But no, I mean, Deepwater Horizon, I think is good. Yeah, I, I seem to remember it doing quite well. And, you know, there is something to be said for, I mean, you and I are, are enough, like, 90s kids. I was born in the late 80s, but I was most certainly a child in the in the 90s. Like, disaster films were very much a thing that we were all raised on. And uh, it's always, I don't know, like a warm blanket, kind of, like, seeing one of those out in the wild in, in the 2010s or the 2020s. Um, kind of a rarity actually these days but uh, you know and like anytime that genre wants to make a comeback I'll, I'll welcome it with open arms but Patriots Day like the you know the the politics of it are a little meh um, and and the 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 Marky Mark character in particular is a big problem with it it's like magical Marky Mark who's I get it he's supposed to represent the city of boston but it's like come on man does he have to be involved in like every leg of the journey <laughs> it's like he just keeps walking into rooms and, and like dumbly suggesting exactly the thing that needs to be done <laughs> um yeah but you're you're right the the procedural aspect of it is is very watchable uh, it does move very well and it's shot very nicely that is one thing that is hard to take away from from Berg, especially in more recent years. Like he, he knows how to shoot a fucking film. Um, it's nice to look at. It moves. I I don't have too much problem with Patriots Day. Mile twenty two uh, can suck my dick. Uh, that movie's not very good. Um, and it, I they had the audacity to try to plan it like a, a fucking franchise around that thing. <laughs> like they they really did try to sequel bait, and in fact they were teasing like. A fucking streaming series based off of that film it's like no i'm sorry you, you didn't you didn't stick the landing guys this movie just it it doesn't yeah. have the juice um but spencer confidential I, I isn't that like based on something like a series of novels or something or i think you're right actually yeah. that sounds yeah, right i i i would check it out but i i saw like a trailer for it and i was like what what is this? <laughs> like I could, like I couldn't quite get the vibe they were going for with it. Yeah, I, honestly, I I don't remember anything from this movie, so I guess I I, I cannot recommend it at all. Well, so, I, mean... I will say this much: of of the films that you held up there, and and you know, I I speak in hyperbole when it comes to Peter Berg. Like like, there's just something about the vibe of a lot of films that I find a little off putting at times, um, but those three films that you held up i can't speak for deep water horizon but lone survivor is on my shelf it was good enough for me to throw money at um and patriots day i did watch and i found it very watchable so i you know i i i'm not a hater like I, i'm not gonna shit all over the guy it's like no he can make a fucking film he's a, he's a fine filmmaker yeah Hey, you're not a hater, and I'm I'm not a lover. I'm not saying you know that is, I had I had to, I had to bring things down a bit from you know the the you know the PTA high art. I had to bring de- things down, you know, become a man of the people. Pete Berg and Mark Wahlberg are men of the people. They're making 
movies for you know the the hard working that's that's what it's all about the city of boston came together and mark Wahlberg and pete berg they came together and just show you know how hard working americans can uh you know come together and uh save the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah bro we gotta save boston we yeah. gotta save boston yeah <laughs> hey bro <laughs> i yeah. think he's over there in that boat <laughs> It is pretty crazy, though, in hindsight, how quick that turnaround was for that movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it kind of insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that. And I was like, hey, what? <laughs> like, we're doing this now? Okay. <laughs> like, I know. I'm trying to think. I know United 93, yeah. which obviously I think is way better than any of the Pete movies. But that had a quick turnaround as well, too. But I, I feel like Patriots Day might have been even quicker. I could be wrong on that, but they they were both they were both quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, wasn't there another one like Boston Strong? I think with Jake Gyllenhaal. Could be wrong. Oh, there, well, there was the one. It wasn't. It wasn't about the the bombings, but it, I think it, he was a, he got injured. I think he was a, he lost. He was a legs. victim of it. And, yes. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do remember the turnaround time for that being a little like, oh. <laughs> I mean, when Hollywood Hollywood is so out of ideas, they have to. I mean, if something in real life happens, they have to say we can't wait, we we cannot wait. Oh, we I, are we are out of ideas. I mean, not to. I, I'm not gonna make a tangent out of this, especially considering I don't watch any of this shit. But just as an observer, and as a person who has a as a significant other who has a Netflix account. When I'm flipping through these things, all I see is things based on true events, like like uh, like catfishing scandals and and mm-hmm. like any number of things that were originally podcasts. And I've I've said this before on on other conversations with you, Brad. I think a big piece of the puzzle is saving saving time and money on writers because coming up with an original thought and and crafting a tightly constructed script is a hard thing to do. And not that many people on the planet are very capable of doing it skillfully. Um, so I think like production houses and, and streaming services and whatnot, I think they're looking to true life stuff uh, to serve as a foundation, like a, a, a framework uh, for crafting these narrative productions because it's just so much faster and easier to just like condense a Wikipedia article into what you would call a script. where it's like the story is already told all you need to do is adhere to the story and get some sexy people to put in the movie and then somebody will watch it and like maybe maybe get some of those tiktok folks in there for the kids and it's like oh i know him he does the dance (laughs) it's like and now he's in the true crime netflix show (laughs) there we go synergy uh -hmm. okay well i'm gonna call this my last pick because the sun's starting to go down where I'm at, and I'm, I'm sure it's been way the fuck down where you're at, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, you, I'm only picking this one. I don't have as much enthusiasm for this one as I do many others on my desk right now, but we can go over those uh, very quickly in the speed round uh, to conclude things. But uh, you did actually name drop uh, one of the people associated with these, so one, one half of the pair that I'm about to introduce here. Uh, so that kind of forced my hand. So I have here uh, the powerful pairing of one uh, Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon. Uh, so we have the the Bourne trilogy, which of course Paul Greengrass directed uh, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and uh, 
Jason Bourne. You can't see the Jason very well because webcam, uh, as well as the film Green Zone. Uh, so we have here the trilogy box set. Uh, I don't actually have uh, the Bourne uh, Legacy, uh, the Jeremy Renner one, because I don't like that film. I really don't. And I watched it once and I was like, I don't need to ever watch that again. Uh, so as as much as I have completionist tendencies, couldn't do it. <laughs> um, and I also have uh, Jason Bourne on 4K. Um, and then, as I said, I also have Green Zone, which is a film that doesn't get talked about very much. Um, I'm sure from a political standpoint, there's a lot of people that have problems with this movie because it deals with the Iraq War. Uh, which is always a sensitive subject especially when we're you know continually uncovering new new and more awful things about that debacle um decent movie if you ask me though <laughs> i've never seen green zone i i i think it's quite good um i i think it it has a green grassian vibe to it in that like it it is occasionally it sets you adrift like one one problem that i've noticed with a lot of his films is that they're difficult to like latch onto i guess like like he kind of like shakes you loose every once in a while he throws you a lot of curveballs and the verite style of his cinematography there's some weird combination that makes his films potentially unmemorable and also just difficult for some audiences to latch onto. like i'm pretty sure my girlfriend wouldn't be able to handle any of these movies she'd be like what the fuck are they talking about <laughs> like everybody's talking past yeah. each other and using terminology that I know you can pretend, Trevor, that you know what everybody's talking about. You don't actually know. You're just pretending you do and pretending it's okay that we can <laughs> advance to the next scene without you actually knowing what the fuck was said. It's like, it's, it's you know, it's, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with getting lost in the woods. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon did some pretty cool work together, if you ask me. Uh, the Bourne Supremacy, um, Doug Lyman directed... Uh, the Born Identity, which is a solid spy action film, but Supremacy and Ultimatum, I think, especially aesthetically, are the films that most general audiences think of when they think of the Bourne films, that shaky cam, verite style, um, and just like kind of the, the grimy, raw quality to the filmmaking is kind of a signature of Paul Greengrass. And folks at home, if you're not following, um, the reason I'm talking about this is because Brad mentioned the film United 93, uh, which of course Paul Greengrass directed, sans Matt Damon. Um, but I, I quite like Supremacy. I quite like Ultimatum. Uh, a lot of people have problems with Ultimatum. Uh, it does. It is a little bit of a retread. Um, but uh, I'm actually glad this gives me an excuse. Uh, John Powell, I think, scored every film that I have in my hands right now, um, and his <clears throat> his work yeah. on the Bourne films. Um, the reason I, I'm pointing that out is because the review the review we did this week for catching up on cinema was x-men the last stand which is not a very good film um but the score for it is done by john powell who is a personal favorite of mine i, I thoroughly enjoy quite a few of his scores and his work on the Bourne films is maybe his best uh there's some motifs and some instrumentation in in these films that is truly astounding uh the the track tangier's um, and Waterloo uh, from Born Ultimatum, fucking spectacular. <laughs> um, there's so many incredible cues. Uh, to the Roof uh, from uh, the Born Supremacy is is 
it's incredible. Like I, I listen to that. Sh- I could listen to that shit every day of my life. Uh, very similar to watching Boogie Nights every day. <laughs> um, less, I have less good things to say about Jason Bourne um, in that it, he's like co-composer for it, and a lot of it is recycled, and the new material is just not very good. And the other guy that they got, I think he's most known for working on the Batman uh, Arkham games, um, which have good soundtracks but whatever they whatever they dreamt up for this movie musically was just not very good green zone also has a very good soundtrack by the way um in particular the final chase sequence uh very similar to the born supremacy the final chase and that both of them are beautiful from a musical standpoint um but yeah i don't know like what it was about matt damon uh that that like paired him with paul greengrass i think honestly it didn't maybe it had something to do with like personalities i've never heard them speak at length about each other um but i do know that the Bourne movies made a fuck ton of money uh so i wouldn't be surprised if studios and and both director and star were keenly aware of that and it's like hey you know you want to do that again (laughs) it's like yeah sure because like jason Bourne is one of those movies that no one fucking asked for and nobody fucking expected but we got it because it probably also made money so i don't know if this was purely a pairing of convenience uh or purely for monetary reasons or whatnot um but i'm mostly happy with the work they've done together so it can't complain yeah i mean i uh i like paul greengrass i gotta say i'm not a born guy i don't know what it is i born for me just i not that i dislike them but i don't really get to love all that much uh might be one of the most overrated franchises of all time uh, <laughs> but i like paul greengrass um and uh yeah i haven't seen green zone i have his his latest film news of the world i have that on uh, 4k and i have not watched it yet that's um, uh, didn't really make much of a splash that's tom hanks right yeah yeah, yeah. um i love captain phillips uh united 93 i think is great um I guess Paul Greengrass for me is just kind of just he's a bit of a like a you know P- Peter Berg is like the poor man's Paul Greengrass. Paul Greengrass is like the rich man's Peter Berg cuz uh I genuinely think United 93 and uh Captain Phillips are fantastic movies. They're great. Um whereas uh you know Patriot's Day and Deepwater Horizon little bit they're in the same zone but they are a step down I think. Um I definitely think that, you know, United 93 and Captain Phillips are, you know, much stronger, getting at something a little deeper. And, uh, I mean, the ending of Captain Phillips is an all-timer. I mean, just incredible. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally on the money with that. Like, that, that's a very solidly constructed film. And, like, he, that seems to be, like, his oeuvre. Like, he, he, he likes to sh- shoot things as if they're a documentary but it's very clearly a film like it's very clearly staged mm-hmm. but the combination of the editing style and the framing like the shot framing style that he uses like he he's trying to create like a, a grimy raw quality to the film that makes it feel like you're a fly on the wall for the proceedings rather than like a a coordinated observer or something and yeah it's it's definitely unique and it definitely doesn't work for everybody um but for the most part i I like him like i i do think he knows what he's doing 
and I and believes what he's doing, even if even if it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'd be curious to see what he's doing next. I haven't checked in on him lately. He did that uh, Netflix movie July twenty two or twenty two July. That was another one that was based on a uh, true story, true tragedy. But um, that one didn't have the same splash, and I also don't remember liking it quite as much, and I don't really remember why. But, um, no, I, I'm definitely a, a Greengrass fan. And like I said, it is it, it is odd that, you know, Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon paired up together because, uh, you know, I, I guess they've only they did Green Zone and the Bourne movies, but... Matt Damon, I don't think he totally fits in a like uh, you know sort of documentary style, realistic fly on the wall zone. I get obviously those the movies he's in is Green Zone based on true events. I would assume it is. I guess uh, it's it's set amid true events, um, but I don't remember if the people involved are are actual or actual personnel who were boots on the ground uh, during that portion of the Iraq war. Um, I'm pretty sure his character in particular is mm-hmm. fabricated. Maybe some of like the agency higher ups are actually real people. I can't remember, uh, but I want to, I want to say it's fabricated. It's, it's kind of a, I want to say it's like a what if story or something. Well, I don't know if it's uh, on the cover of uh, green, green zone, not green book. I, I might have misspoke earlier. Green Zone, but um, I don't know if it's on the cover there, but Roger Ebert famously gave it four out of four stars. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it says, yeah, yeah, it it. says four stars, Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. Gritty, thrilling from Richard yeah. Corliss, uh, who I don't know. But yeah, four fucking stars, damn. He loved it. I don't know if that's warranted, but I do think it's a, I think it's a solid little, you know, military conspiracy action thriller um not much of an action film if we're being honest um but it has an atmosphere and a pace to it that's that is compelling if you ask me um and also um Mm -hmm. what's his face jason isaac's uh trying to be american uh, which is always delightful especially when he's supposed to be like a a raw raw tough guy american as opposed to just like a flatten it out kind of american Um, but yeah, uh, that that was like I said, that wasn't one that I was particularly enthused about. It was just easy because Brad kind of set me up for it. So um, I guess I'll call that. Got to do it. I'll call that my uh, my last pick this time around. Um, I do have a fuck ton on my desk though, uh, so I'll I'll breeze through it very quickly. But uh, folks at home, um, as we conclude things here, um, if you're not aware, generally the way we wrap up our tales from the shelf uh, episodes is. Uh, we do something called the speed round, uh, where basically we uh, skim over uh, the runner-ups, uh, the titles that we may have set aside that uh, just didn't have the time to spotlight today. Uh, so again, I will uh, probably do my uh, hosting duty here and toss Brad under the bus. Uh, Brad, would you uh, would you care to run through the speed round first, or would you would you prefer to have me go first? Um. I'm only going to do three pairings here to uh, close it out. Um, I will mention the pairing of uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, um, who I don't have Escape from L.A., but I've got Big Trouble in Little China. I know this is not the Scream Factory Blu-ray. This is just 
the the bare bones with a some sort of like garbage slip cover best buy throughout i don't even know but um i do like big trouble in old china i can't even get it in the slip cover there it goes uh we've got uh, um escape from new york i have the screen factory steelbook and uh i have to say this uh even though i own it it is on my list of shame i have not seen it um that's one that i need to uh remedy and then i have two copies of the, the thing i have the garbage blu-ray and i have the scream factory blu-ray supervised by uh it is dean cundy correct yes dean cundy who i love um and i do not own the 4k of that embarrassingly but uh that's that i've only got two films for this one um but they have done more i just only own two i made sure they did more than one this is we're going way back on this one i should if i really wanted to class the joint up i should have done this I have uh, Billy Wilder and uh, Jack Lemon. Billy Wilder and Jack Lemon. I have Some Like It Hot, the Criterion Blu-ray of Some Like It Hot. No, I do not own the Kino 4K, embarrassingly enough, but I do own the Kino 4K of The Apartment, The Apartment, which I have not watched. It is still in the shrink wrap. Embarrassing, I know. Um, but I love Jack Lemon. I've, I mean, I haven't seen like a ton of his stuff, but anything I've seen with Jack Lemon in it is amazing. Like he is like a great performer. He's hilarious. Um, and I do like Billy Wilder too. I mean, the guys, the amount of iconic films the guy did, not that I've seen all of his stuff, but I mean, these two, uh, double indemnity, I'm pretty sure is him sunset Boulevard. I mean, the guy just, he was pumping out bangers back in the day. What a guy, right? And then I also have probably the most famous pairing of all time. It probably, I think you would at least put it in the top three. And it is the pairing of Yorgos Lanthimos with Angeliki Papulia. Yorgos Lanthimos and Angeliki Papulia um, with these films Dogtooth, Alps, and The Lobster. Dogtooth, Alps, and the Lobster. I really like Yorgos Lanthimos. I love his style. I like his humor. Um, I love his direction, the deadpan, the the, the dry delivery. I absolutely love that stuff. And I love his films conceptually, too. They're high concept, but uh, very interesting. And I think the concepts are, uh, you know, unique. Not, like, obvious high concepts. And uh, this actress, Angeliki Papulia, if I'm saying her name right, which I'm probably not, uh, she was the oldest daughter in Dogtooth. She had a pretty significant role in Alps, and she had a small role in The Lobster. Um, and I don't think she's collaborated with him since. But, uh, you know, next time, baby, next time. <laughs> so that's all I got. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I, of those three, I've only seen The Lobster, but uh, both me and my brother found it to be like kind of laugh-out-loud hilarious. I don't know what that says about yeah. us, but... Um, is what it is but uh kurt russell and, and uh, john carpenter was one of those pairings that i i earlier today had thought of uh citing on the mic as like a traditional example um, because the two of them did some mm -hmm. tremendous work together but great picks brad for sure um i thank you thank I you i think i can't remember which version of the thing i have but i hope it's the dean cundy approved scream factory one uh, because that other one doesn't look so hot <laughs> yeah okay well uh i'll just I, like i said i have a fuck ton of picks here but i'll just skim over them real quick uh okay so for my speed round here um 
And again, you will not be surprised by most of these. Um, I have here uh, the powerful pairing of Scott Adkins and one James Nunn, uh, who I believe is also a British filmmaker. I have One Shot, uh, which I did a solo review of that uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised. Uh, a couple, like the director and one of the cast members of, um, actually like popped up and commented on. Um, oh, yeah, nice. Uh, Lee Charles. Uh, he he has he's had a couple of throwdowns with Scott Adkins, and in fact, he's the uh, the butcher dude from Gangs of London, like the the nearly naked fight. Oh yeah, that's yeah. him. Um, and yep. he has a he has a little scrap with Scott Adkins in this film in in one shot, and I. I kind of singled him out as like a very solid screen presence. And he was like, thanks, man. And I was like, oh, shit, cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, That's cool. And uh, in the middle there is Eliminators, which uh, features, uh, at the time, uh, I think his name is actually Stu Bennett, but um, his wrestling name was uh, Wade Barrett. Um, so it's an all-British affair of giant pro wrestler wade barrett versus scott atkins in a wwe financed action film um and they do everything you you'd want to see in that particular pairing we do get some wrestling moves and we most certainly get some scott atkins kicks um the last one here is the unlikely third film in the green street hooligans series um this is green street hooligans underground which is headlined by Scott Adkins and again directed by James Nunn. I haven't seen the second one because, uh, frankly, I'm not sure why it exists and uh, it doesn't have Scott Adkins. <laughs> so, um, next up, I have, and again, Brad, you will not be surprised with any of these uh, Scott Adkins and Isaac Florentine, uh, who is the Israeli uh, filmmaker that gave us uh, a lot of episodes of the og power rangers television show um and we have here uh seized undisputed 2 kind of the movie that launched scott adkins proper um i actually don't own a film called special forces which was their first collaboration together um and kind of the first time scott adkins's uh, martial arts capabilities were really properly spotlit on film um, I would like to own that someday. I've, I've seen, like, the most famous scene from it, but I haven't. I actually don't own it. Um, Undisputed 3, which, as I mentioned, is the follow-up to Undisputed 2 and also the film that Adkins often cites as, like, his proudest achievement. Um, the pairing of Ninja uh, and Ninja 2, Shadow of a Tear, both excellent. Um, and Close Range, which is painfully low-budget, but a lot of fucking fun. Um, it's a siege movie that combines uh, some really solid martial arts work with uh, some pretty sure people using airsoft guns as stand-ins for blank firing guns because we ain't got no money. Um, <laughs> next up, one that I actually probably should have brought up on the episode proper, uh, Liam Neeson and uh, Jome Kolesara. Uh, oh, that's a good one. All their films. That's a good one. Oh, I'm kind of kicking myself for not bringing it up. But uh, yeah, unknown. I actually don't own any of those films, so I couldn't bring it up. But that's a good wow. one. I, I I point to these films as actually more so than taken. Like the reason why I I am able to stomach a lot of the you know action schlock Liam Neeson movies from his later years. It's it's yeah. solely on the strength of his pairing with with Jomé Collette Seurat. Like like he, I I used I used this example like at the at the top of the recording but like 
knowing the capabilities and the liabilities and the boundaries of the person that you're working with, of the performer that you're working with are so paramount to like the success that you can get from your collaboration with them. Um, and it, when it comes to Liam Neeson as a performer of physicality and action, um, unless he has a lightsaber in his hand and has been practicing for nine fucking months, he's a little stiff, he's very lanky, and he's kind of old. Um, so what do you need to make that look that fucking mess look good? You need a fucking filmmaker is what you need. You need someone who shoots and edits and stylizes things to such an extreme that it doesn't matter if he's stiff like we can work around that we got the technology we got we got all the tools and all of these movies with the exception of unknown <laughs> are pretty fucking good unknown can suck my dick it, it's boring as shit but uh i mean i guess you do get him hitting aiden quinn which is always fun you get irish on irish violence but um non-stop a lot of fun a lot of the kind of a whodunit in the air run all night i think is underrated um holt mccallany is in that one by the way he gets hit with a fucking turlet mm. or some shit <laughs> um and the commuter uh is probably kind of near the bottom of these but it's it's fine it's very slick it's very stylish and it has a lot of people you like in it um ugh. i love non-stop i do too I actually would love to watch that with the girlfriend. I think she'd have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the same thing with my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's very, very watchable. I, I think there's a lot of yeah, a lot yeah. to engage you in there, uh, even if you're not you know, like a, mm-hmm. a hardcore like myself. Um, so I have here Donnie Yen and Wilson Yip. Um, so this is, I think, all of their movies they've done together. Uh, so SPL, Flashpoint, Dragon Tiger Gate, and Yip Man 1 through 4. Um I already said enough about fucking Donnie Yen. Uh, <laughs> but the two of them did some magical work um, in the late 2000s. Um, kind of injected some enthusiasm and verve into the somewhat waning uh, Hong Kong uh, action film industry at the time. Um, and we have here, do you hate, no, actually this is uh, Tak Sakaguchi and uh, Yuji Shimobura, uh, who is the choreographer for all of these films. Uh, so Crazy Samurai Musashi, Reborn, Death Trance, Versus, and Alive. Um, so that's not the director, that's actually just the choreographer. But yeah, that's it for me. Um, so yeah, I guess that draws to a close this episode of Tale- Tales from the Shelf. Um, but before we go, uh, Brad, uh, would you care to let the folks at home uh, know where they can find you and your super awesome podcast? Yeah, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. Find us anywhere you find podcasts, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. We're on uh, Twitter at The Cinema Speak, on Instagram as Cinema Speak Podcast, and on YouTube as Cinema Speak. And you can and just you can find, just us, find on us, us on the web, web at, at uh, cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Very nice. Thanks for that, Brad. Um, and thank you for joining me. Uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, this has been a little bit of an experiment. I'm hoping it goes smoothly. I have a feeling it did not um <laughs> but we can fucking fix it and post um so yeah brad as always thank you for joining me i really appreciate the help yeah of course yeah, of course um but as for myself uh, if you'd care to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com uh, you can also find us on the social medias in, on the instagram at catching up on cinema as well as the twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit me up at either of those uh, and we are available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including BitCade. So 
fucking Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Say goodbye, Brad. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Stop streaming. <laughs>